Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard and Mike Molina. And we got a lot of guests coming up today. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant. Walzer Automotive continues to grow. They think it's because of their upfront pricing, no haggle or hassle sales experience, and working with one person from start to finish. I think we all know it's because of the loyal podcast listeners. I've said it a million times before. I won't endorse a company that I don't believe in, and Walzer's no exception. I've bought several cars from them, as has my family. I know what you're thinking. Tommy got some special deal. Well, the truth is we pay the Walzer best price just like everyone else. Walzer will sell about 35,000 cars this year, and you can't do that if your prices aren't great. Do yourself a favor. When it's time to shop for a new or used car, go to walzer.com and give them a shot. You won't be sorry. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Welcome. Your consigliere. And what do we do if the old man dies? God forbid. If we lose the old man... We lose our political contacts and half our strength. The other New York families might wind up supporting Solazzo just to avoid a long, destructive war. This is almost 1946. Nobody wants bloodshed in If your father dies, you make the deal, Sonny. You know, that's easy for you to say, Tom. He's not your father. I was as much a son to him as you or Mike. <laughs> that is so cold. <laughs> It's just so cold. He doesn't even mention Fredo. Uh, (laughs) Can you believe that premiered uh, 46 years ago tonight? 46 years ago tonight. Yep. Good God. (laughs) The old clock's ticking, I guess. But I still love the fact that he mentions Mike and Santino, but doesn't even bother to mention Fredo, who's his real son. (laughs) That's terrible. Poor Fredo. Well, uh, things didn't work out too well for Fredo anyway. No. You know. No. Your own brother has your brains blown out for you. That's crazy because uh, everybody else except for Fredo is still alive today, all the actors and actresses. That's right. He's dead. Yeah. That's right. He died quite a while ago, didn't he? Yeah, he died like in 78, I think. Oh, man. Unbelievable. It's Meryl Streep. Dating, oh. dating her is what killed him. Oh, he was dating Meryl Streep? I think so. So were they both blind? (laughs) But I'm just asking a question. I'm not Uh, making any implications. I'm just asking a question here. I I don't understand the problem. Uh, This is rather eerie. 
Two experienced mountain climbers trying to tackle a new route in Alaska were presumed dead after climbing ropes that matched their gear were found in a crevasse, authorities said Wednesday. George Ryan Johnson, 34, of Juneau, and Mark Andre Leclerc, 25, of Squamish, Squamish, British Columbia, were reported missing after they failed to return from a climb on March 7th on a seven-peaked mountain not far from Alaska's capital city. Rescuers had to wait until Tuesday for the weather to clear to fly to Mendenhall Towers, a mountain that rises nearly 7,000 feet over the Juneau ice field, about 12 miles north of Juneau. They found an intact rope anchor rope at the top of the ice chute on one peak and saw two climbing ropes in a crevice. See, I went with crevasse first. Now I'm going with crevice. You know, just to please everyone. Midway down the same peak, Megan Peters, a spokeswoman for the Alaska State Trooper, said it wasn't clear what went wrong because no one saw what happened. We know they made it to the top. We know they set anchor, she said. Whether they were taken out by an avalanche, whether their rope failed, I mean, anything could happen. Officials won't be able to recover the bodies right away because of an avalanche uh, possibility, avalanche danger. Johnson and Leclerc had been flown to the mountain and planned to ski out to an area to be picked up. Leclerc was considered a gifted climber. Outside Magazine called him one of the best young alpinists in the world. And his biography on the website of a sponsor, Canadian outdoor equipment uh, company, Arcteryx. I think that's how you say it anyway. I think it's Arcteryx. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, says that he completed several ascents in Canada and Patagonia. And Joe from Louisville says aliens got them. Well, so that's nice. Yeah, that'd be kind of odd, wouldn't it? You won't. We're not going to be able to recover your bodies right away because you probably got buried by an avalanche. So uh, other than that, though. Yeah, we'll see you in July. Really good. There are tons of bodies on Mount Everest that have been there for decades because it's just not worth the risk to get them. Just the bones or left? No, they've. Or they're, I mean, they're frozen. Oh, so. I suppose they're frozen. That's true. They yep. frozen. They're there so. forever, and no one really. I mean, in order to get them, because you can't take a helicopter or anything, right? And no vehicle's going to work up there. So the only way to get to them would be to do the same thing that they did when they were died or when they died, and you know. Yep. That's not always the best idea. Okay, we have two major lawsuits going on here. You want which one you want to hear first? Harper Lee or Miley Cyrus? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Anyone have a choice? Let's go with Miley. Okay, we'll go with Miley. Miley's getting sued over a, a song lyric. We Can't Stop is Miley Cyrus's third biggest hit, according to Billboard, and Marie Claire considers it one of her five best songs. A new lawsuit, however, claims it's not exactly hers. Jamaican artist Florgon, real name Michael May, it's F-L-O-U-R-G-O-N. How would you pronounce that? Florgon? Florgon. I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, Michael May is his real name. So Michael May is suing Cyrus, Sony Music, and RCA Records for $300 million. (laughs) So he's going to lose that one then. So so he's got no chance of winning that. Yeah, let's set the let's uh, set the bar a little high there, Michael. Uh, Alleging line in the 2013 song "We Run Things, Things Don't Run We." Oh, well, that's a horrible line. You're suing for 300 million over that. Uh, uh, we run things, things don't run. We rips off a prominent lyric from Florgon's 1988 hit "We Run Things" per <laughs> Forbes. That line goes: "We run things, things no run. We." Well, that's different. <laughs> No and don't are different words. Uh, May, who is also suing songwriter Theron Thomas, 
Among others, cites an interview in which Thomas describes the influence of Caribbean culture on his music as evidence that the alleged theft was deliberate without the influence of Florgon's song. The entire theme of We Can't Stop would be hollow in sound and impact, states the lawsuit filed Tuesday in New York per CNN. I think, uh, Michael May, you, you, you do have a point, I think, but I thought the, the only thing bigger than your point is your ego. You're now taking yeah. credit for all songs ever written because you're the greatest thing that ever happened, apparently, to music. You don't file a suit for $300 million over one line in a song. Good luck. Yeah, I, I hope your, uh, your attorney's working on a contingency. That's all I'm saying. I hope he's going for 10% of the $300 million because I don't... I, you see them getting a dime? No. Look, I'm not exactly the biggest Miley Cyrus fan. She, you know what, though? She is a good actress. I've seen her in a couple of movies. She, she can act. No doubt about that. I, know if I, I don't would know about the singing part. Take credit for this song. You want to hear it? I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Very generic. <laughs> what? Would you play it at the right speed, please? Oh, gosh. What is that? Is that still part of Miley Cyrus' song? Yeah. See, she just... It's horrible, horrible music. Sure is. I see 13-year-olds will eat it up because that's what they do. If I were Michael May, I would sue for reminding people that I wrote that crap. (laughs) Okay, that's what I would sue for. (laughs) That might be the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I, I... I don't understand. No, Soldier Boy Tell Him is worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, Soldier yep. Boy yep. Te- Tell Him is the name of the song. Is Tell Him? I, yep. That was one of the worst songs uh, ever. Yeah. It, it's remarkably bad. People <laughs> are still making fun of it. You know how grateful I am that I have no idea what you guys are talking about? And I'm actually really grateful that I don't know what you guys are talking about. And, Tom, I it's think it got number one me. on the charts. I could not believe it when it happened. What's it called? Kill him? Tell him. Oh, tell him. Kids are dumb. I, th- I think it's actually technically yeah. called Crank Dat. Soldier. Crank Dat. Yeah, and there, I think there By was a Soldier dance Bull. associated with the song. Do they uh, throw about 7 billion F-bombs out there for you? Oh, yeah, and a bunch of gangs. No, actually. Oh, they it's, don't? It's, it's just generally bad. <laughs> it's just horrible yeah. music, that's it? It's not even really music. Oh, it's not even really music. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me. Okay, on to lawsuit number two, uh, Harper Lee. A Broadway production of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird is still set to open in this year, despite a lawsuit filed by the estate of the author. An attorney for the producers said, Jonathan Zavin, who represents Scott Rudin's Rudin play, Incorporated, said Thursday the adaptation is scheduled to go on stage in December in New York, to the best of my knowledge, per the AP. Lee's estate filed a federal lawsuit this week in Alabama over the play, arguing that screenwriter Aaron Sorkin's script wrongly alters Atticus Finch and other characters from the book. The lawsuit, which includes a copy of a contract signed by Lee and dated about eight months before her death in February 2016, and she's been dead for over two years already. My God, time flies. Uh, Contends Sorkin's script violates the agreement in its portrayal of Finch, The noble attorney who represents a black man wrongly accused of rape in Mockingbird filed against the theater company of New York's 
producer Scott Rudin. The complaint cites an interview with the online publication Vulture in which Sorkin was quoted as saying, the small town lawyer would evolve from a racist apologist at the start of the show to become Atticus Finch by the end of the play. Such a change during a play could fit with the character evolution shown between the Pulitzer Prize winning Mockingbird and Lee's first draft of the novel, finally released in 2015 as Go Set a Watchman. But the lawsuit contends the script would violate the contact by uh, changing Finch and other characters and adding still more people who aren't in the novel. It asks a judge to enforce a section of the agreement that states the play won't depart in any manner from the spirit of the novel nor its, uh, alter its characters because she very clearly pointed out uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird, the one that was put in schools, that Atticus Finch was not a racist. He was a separatist. As pointed out to me by who? Who pointed out that Atticus Finch was not a racist? He was a separatist. Harper Lee. The kid who plays the youngest son on the show The Middle, oh. Atticus Schaefer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's the one. I said... Oh, yeah, I remember that. What's it feel like to be uh, to be named after racist? He was not a racist. He was a separatist. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the Harper Lee lawsuit. There's the Miley Cyrus $300 million for one line of, uh, of lyric. Uh, the guy's got no chance of winning. I, I, I just... I don't know. You know... I would rather listen to you Miley Cyrus is. than this Jamaican guy because I just found his song and it is even worse. Horrendous. Yeah, do you want to hear it? Oh, well, we got to hear it now. I mean, yeah, we heard her horrible version. That sounds like reggae, all right. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, that actually got recorded by a record company. Hey, this is now we're talking. This is uh, could be the next. Uh, you know, I want to hold your hand. I. Why do people like that garbage? It's terrible. Oh man! Seriously, I I don't understand why people like that music. Can Can you guys explain it to me? Jude's freaking out about your watch reflection. Oh, God, Jude. You are the dumbest dog. I'll stop turning my watch over. He's barking because my watch was reflecting on the wall. The light was reflecting on the wall, and he, he thought it was moving. He really likes lights reflected on things. You did it. Yeah, with a laser pointer. And he tortured him with a laser pointer, and now he can't get over it. He was it. having fun. Yeah, and now it's fun for the rest of us, isn't it? Now it's all he ever thinks about. It is all he ever thinks about. He thinks Jude, about, that's it. He why do you care so much? Reflection. Yeah, he just thinks about reflection, so I guess hey, whatever works, right? Uh, Theranos. You remember that name, that, 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 that name Theranos, or Theranos, I guess it was pronounced? No. She, well, she was the first female founder of a Silicon Valley startup to become a billionaire before it all came crashing down. Now Elizabeth Holmes' personal fortune is gone. And oh, the um, was it? It wasn't diabetes, was it? It was some drug that was fake, or is that someone else? No, this is Silicon Valley. So this is uh, Theranos. Well, I'll just read the story. Now, Elizabeth Holmes' personal fortune is gone, and she just settled with federal regulators who say her company, Theranos, uh, lied to investors about its supposedly revolutionary... Oh, yeah, you're right. It was the blood testing equipment. Yeah. Yep, you're absolutely right. 
Holmes, 34, forfeits control of the company, is barred from serving as an officer or director of any public company for a decade, and must pay $500,000, reports the AP. Uh, by the way, for whoever wrote this story, the comma after the last zero and 500000 doesn't belong there. <laughs> okay. Uh, and her troubles may just be beginning. The Wall Street Journal reports that she still faces a criminal investigation being led by the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco. Uh, the biggest lies. BuzzFeed runs down the seven biggest Theranos or Theranos lies, and they revolve around one central one. Claims that its special machine could run hundreds of blood tests on just a few drops of blood. A stunt involving Walgreens, a former partner, is illustrative. Theranos collected blood samples from Walgreens execs, but processed those samples in, a, uh, in an outside in outside lab equipment. The wowed Walgreens execs, however, were led to believe the blood was processed on the Theranos equipment in the meeting room. Well, how could that happen? Hey, why don't you guys leave the meeting room for a couple of minutes, uh, and then when we come back, we'll run the blood samples. Yeah, it's just fraud. Uh, how, how would that have happened, though? On uh, purpose? I guess. Well, it definitely was on purpose. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years. But did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Just like yesterday, then I'll get on my knees and pray. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. We don't get fooled by Theranos. How would you like to have lost every single dollar you've ever had and then get fined a half a million dollars? <laughs> that's got to be comfortable, huh? That's got to that's got to feel really good. Oh, so basically, I'm a half a million in the hole, and I'm probably she's probably already severely in the hole because she lost all her money. So she must have had some debt. Now she's got another five hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Not good. Alex Lovell, uh, or Lavelle, I think, Alex Lavelle says he spent 12 to 13 hours a day playing a computer game in which players fight to the death. 12 to 13 hours a day. Andy, do you ever do that? Uh, maybe once every five years or so. Good God, this guy spent 20, 12 to 13 hours a day. It's not uncommon. People get addicted. You're right. 
uh, playing a computer game in which uh, players fight to the death, but when his girlfriend allegedly came at him with a real sword, it, and this is a quote, by the way, it scared the living poop out of me. <laughs> That's what he said in court anyway. Emily Javier, 30, is charged with a attempted murder after admitting on a 911 call to using a samurai sword to attack 29-year-old Lavelle, her boyfriend of two years, reports the Oregonian. Javier was annoyed with how much time Lavelle spent gaming and purchased the sword at a mall after claiming to have found the Tinder dating app on his phone and an unknown woman's hair in the shower drain of the couple's Wait, home. she went into the shower drain? That's correct. And looked for... That's pretty gross. That is correct. She was digging hair up. Well, her hair is green. That's why oh. she would know. Well, that explains everything then, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, it explains everything. Yeah, she has she has green hair, so she would, and she's also dressed, by the way, unless that's a bulletproof vest. Why? But I don't know why she'd be wearing a bulletproof vest in court. That doesn't make much sense. But uh, if it's not a bulletproof vest, then she's wearing a samurai outfit to court. Is that what that is, Andy? I have no idea what that is. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting I think look. it's a give-me-attention outfit. Uh, yeah, it kind of seems that way. In any case, she found some other woman's uh, uh, hair in the drain, so, you know, she can't be having that. There'll be, there'll be no more of that. Um, Lavelle suffered life-threatening injuries with cuts to his head, neck, torso, hands, legs, and feet. So she didn't just fake attack him. Yeah, no, it sounds like she was actually trying to kill him. Extreme, what is it, cosplay? Yes. What's cosplay? It's when you dress up like a fictional character. Oh, costume? Yes. Is that what cos stands for? I believe so. It is extreme cosplay, then. You're absolutely right, Joe, from Louisville. Lavelle suffered life-threatening injuries with cuts to his head, neck, torso, hands, legs, and feet. He might not walk again for six months, but I was able to swing to Wing Chun my way to survival. What planet am I on now? Yeah, I don't know what the hell that even is. Okay, let me check. Wing Chun? Wing Chun, C-H-U-N. I was able to wing Chun my way to survival before convincing Javier to call police. He tells the Oregonian from a hospital. Oh, it's a type of kung fu, apparently. Oh, wing Chun is a kung fu? It's a good thing he knew kung fu, then. (laughs) Exactly. I was just so proud for beating this samurai wannabe crazy lady with hate in her heart. This guy needs to calm down a little. Oh, Bruce Lee, he did Wing, wing Chun. Oh, Bruce Lee did Wing Chun, okay. Yeah. And the uh, son of Ip Man. I always thought it was Ip Man, but I don't know. I thought it was Ip Man as well. Uh, Jackie Chan, he did that. He, he did Robert wing, Downey Jr. Wing Chun, they all do it. Yep, so okay. it's apparently it's pretty popular. There you go. Um, Javier was delusional, says Lavelle, for thinking he was cheating. I'm not a model or six foot three, tall dude, slay Tinder. Everyone knows that, he tells BuzzFeed. I barely had time to hang out with my girlfriend, let alone another girl, he adds, per the Colombian. Of their relationship, he tells the Oregonian, it's a bit complicated. Regardless, I assume she needs some serious help. Yeah, I would think that uh, someone attacking you, first of all, buying a samurai sword that's not for decoration, uh, and then attacking you with it to your head, neck, torso, hands, legs, and feet, mm. I would say she needs some serious help. You're absolutely right. A GoFundMe page has raised $8,100 for Lavelle as of this writing. Javier has been uh, has pleaded not guilty and remains in custody. His, her trial is set for May 7th, so I guess we'll see what happens. Right? Right. 
Why do you do that? Everybody just disappears. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, they were talking about Pi Day yesterday. Yesterday being Pi Day, and in the wake of Stephen Hawking's March 14th death, he died on the day of Pi. Three, uh, one, I thought four. he died the day before. That's what I thought. Who knows? Well, I think because he, he died, he was, he, was in, he was in England when he passed away. So technically it was the 14th. Oh, so, oh, oh, yeah. so it was so the 14th. Guess. Yes, exactly. You're absolutely right. Mashable reports that it also overlaps with the birth of Albert Einstein, who was born on this day in 18... This day being March 14th. In 1879, as for Hawking's own birth, it also isn't without its own cosmic coincidence. He was born January 8, 1942, exactly 300 years after the date of Galileo's death. Amid a sea of Hawking-themed reporting and remembrances, we've rounded up uh, the most interesting tidbits and most thought-provoking pieces. I loved Stephen Hawking. I just loved reading his stuff and reading about him. His tombstone. The Independent reports that Hawking had been explicit about what he wanted on his tombstone, Hawking's equation, a formula for black hole entropy. He said as much in 2002 per a New York Times report at the time, and a longtime collaborator confirmed Hawking's desire to answer uh, on Wednesday. IFL Science offers an explanation of the equation. Okay? Um, And then they made me change... They said, go to the next page, and I guess that's it. They just explained it. Four in the marriage. In 2015, Hawking's first wife, Jane, discussed their marriage from his family's gloomy proclamations it would never last to the relationships they formed outside of it. She said, the truth was there were four partners in our marriage, Stephen and me, motor neuron disease, and physics. His condition. Diagnosed with ALS at 21, Hawking was expected to live just two years how he made it 55 more years. Yeah, he outlived his prognosis by 53 years. Uh, more is due in part to his sense of humor. A Washington Post piece delves into why and includes a quirky anecdote about a champagne party Hawking once threw for time travelers. <laughs> what? Uh, where is he now? The Post also rounds up Hawking's comments on religion, God, and the afterlife, and here's one. I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. The only sad thing about that whole deal is that now there is no more Stephen Hawking and there never will be again. So if it ends, it ends. You know, somebody that brilliant, somebody that terrific, and for him just to be dead forever, that's too bad. Uh, Underrated, at The Atlantic, Amanda Gefter writes that for a long time she thought Hawking was overrated, but then I learned that in the 1970s he had performed a remarkable calculation in an attempt to disprove the work of another physicist who had annoyed him. Somebody pissed him off, so he made him look like a fool. It totally changed her opinion of him, and she explains it in a very approachable way what he ended up proving. Uh, And no Nobel. For all his brilliance, Hawking never won a Nobel Prize. It's unbelievable. He never won the Nobel Prize. Because it's rigged. Well, it is rigged. There's no question about it. And nothing. this is not a political statement, but didn't Barack Obama win the Nobel Prize the very first year he was president? The Peace Prize, yeah. What? the hell? Yeah, it's for people who are friends with people on the Nobel Committee. That's really all it is. That is what it is, isn't it? 
How do you not give it to Stephen Hawking, though? I don't really understand that. I, I, do you get that? I don't care about the Nobel Prize at all. Yeah, so. that's very, very true. <laughs> so, no. Oh, you're absolutely right. Oh, there's a couple of those, you know, that two-headed girl from Minnesota? The, the Hensels? Hen- the Hensels, yep. yeah. They made the news today. The world became obsessed with conjoined twins, Abigail Abbey and Brittany Hensel, after they appeared on an episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show in 1996. Fused together with the torso, each twin controlled one side of their shared body, and they had managed to learn how to walk and perform complex daily tasks in flawless unison. I was told, uh, and a lot of people told me it was true, that Abby and Brittany actually played played sports. They played softball. They could each, yeah, softball, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. They played against Rogers because they were from Monticello. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. they were from Mon- they. Well, they are. Still, they're not. They're still alive, aren't they? I yeah, but so. that, I just assume Far they enough. don't live in Monticello anymore because they were. They're graduated from college and stuff by now. Yeah, that is true. They're like in their mid twenties. I think they're a couple of years younger than me. It is unbelievable, though, that they they've coordinated so well because basically it is one body with two heads. I know, that's and one controls what, one side, and one controls... And that's so crazy. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The fact yeah. that they were able to coordinate, or they, they can coordinate, is amazing to I know. me. It is amazing. Initially, doctors were uncertain what the future would hold for the twins health-wise. However, in 2012, the sisters reappeared on their way on their very own TLC reality show, Abby and Brittany, proving they had beat all medical odds and were flourishing as adults. Still, there were so many unanswered questions... Uh, yeah, it's very, very true. I mean, it is amazing. You look at them and they're, they totally coordinated. Now they had just one body, correct? Yes. I mean, there were just literally two heads on one body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Parents Patty and Mike Hansel didn't know they were expecting conjoined twins. Patty's pregnancy appeared to be going swimmingly and there was nothing alarming about any of the, her ultrasounds. Doctors later concluded the twins' heads must have been perfectly aligned during each sonogram, giving the appearance of a fetus with just one head instead of two. However, their father may have caught on to a major clue during the pregnancy. In a 2001 piece, time revealed that Mike had reportedly heard two heartbeats during one sonogram, but his observation was dismissed. At the time of the twins' birth, Patty was scheduled to undergo a C-section because doctors thought the fetus was in the breech position a term used to describe when a baby is positioned in the womb bottom first rather than head first. When the conjoined twins were pulled out, revealing two heads their physician, Dr. Joy Westerdahl admitted that everyone in the delivery room was so stunned, the room fell silent for about 30 seconds. Mike wasn't in the room at the time, so when he was finally given the news, he wasn't too happy with the way the message was delivered. They had a pretty crude way of telling me, he told Time. They said, they've got one body and two heads. Well, what are they supposed to say to you, right? I don't know what his problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I understand it would be shocking, and it's, it's certainly, yeah, well, why wasn't I, he I, in it the, would be very shocking. Why wasn't he in the room? That's weird. I don't know. That is weird. I don't know. Patty, who is still under sedation, vaguely remembers the birth experience. She said she heard the word Siamese being thrown around during the delivery and perplexed, asked the hospital staff, I had cats? She, she must have been under a lot, <laughs> a lot of drugs. <laughs> she said, I had cats. Oh, my God. This is a phenomenal story. When the twins were born in 1990, yeah, they're just they're less than a year older than you are. Alex. 
their doctors and their parents didn't know how things would pan out. ABC reported that the Hensel girls weren't even expected to make it through their first night. Their survival and subsequent good health is still a medical mystery, but the girls are proof that the prognosis for conjoined twins isn't always so grim. According to CNN, conjoined twins occur once in every 200,000 live births. The survival rate ranges from 5 to 25%. Roughly half die within the first year, according to the Daily Mail. The Hensels are believed to be one of the only four sets of dicephalus or cephalus. Would it be dicephalus? Dicephalus. Dicephalus, I thought so. Twins in history to survive in infancy. Yeah, I remember hearing their story. So they, they're now 28 years old. Yeah, so you're actually, yeah, you're, actually, you're actually older than they are, Alex. Yeah. They were born in 19, 1990. I, yeah. I thought, they, I thought they were they a few are. years. I thought they were a few years younger than me. I didn't know that they were only one year. They went to Bethel. I know that. Yeah, that's right. They did go to Bethel. I don't know what They're they do. They're cuter than hell. They, I don't know what they do now. Yeah, I can. I could probably scroll ahead. I don't know how many more pages there went, are on there, but if they went to Bethel, one of them's probably a nurse, or they're both nurses, because that's yeah. what people go to Bethel for. I guess they both have to be nurses. Yeah, yeah I suppose yeah. you couldn't really have separate careers. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. By the way, yeah. they were born with three arms, but they got rid of one of the arms apparently. Oh, they were, shows, they were born with three arms, but shows how far you know, um, ultrasounds have gone. Come. I mean, yeah, really. Oh, what no kind question. of crappy ultrasound yeah. couldn't find that? Well, there is that. Well, they were like brand we'll new right when I was a baby. Were they? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose they are. Mom pretty never new had technology. one with yeah. Mom never had one with Andy. They didn't do them. See. Hmm. See. Yeah. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. Is very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering more than 50% off his four-pack special, which includes two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. <laughs> Are you being all clever? Trying to. <laughs> I'm attempting to be all clever. 
Is Jake on the phone? Yep. He is indeed. Jake, now, see, you for the first time probably be able to tell me something I've wondered for years. Was it Leonard Bernstein or Bernstein? It was Leonard uh, Bernstein, and I am Jake Bernstein. Ah, see, that's why I asked. Huh? What do you think of that? And and that's why I know. (laughs) And that's why you know. So it was Leonard Bernstein, but you are Jake Bernstein. Indeed, yes. And it's Bernstein Bears. Well, thank you so much. Now I'm really, really confused. Secrecy World, inside the Panama Papers investigation of illicit money networks and the global elite, Bernstein, uh, describes his shadow economy. This, I shouldn't say his, this shadow economy in detail. Uh, This changed the world forever. I shouldn't jump in in the middle here, Jake. Explain to me what the situation is because I got to... First of all, I should tell you up front, Jake, that I don't like politicians. I don't care if they're Republican, they're Democrat, what they are. I think they all caught on to this, uh, you know, the illicit money networks and the global elite and the whole deal. And I think that's... Am I wrong thinking that a lot of politicians are involved, uh, consider themselves to be the global elite? A lot of of funny money changes. My book, Secrecy World, is based on the data from the Panama Papers, which was a leak of information from one of the top firms in the world that creates anonymous shell companies. And it ended up being way in excess of 11.5 million documents. And in those documents were more than 140 politicians from more than 50 countries connected Uh, to shell companies and 21 tax havens. So you are not wrong at all. It's disgusting, Jake. The whole thing, how... Uh, you know, what I love is the, the no matter who's president, they get uh, they get beat on. There's no question about that. But I understand the, the scamming that these people pull off. The and look, I'm I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, Jake. So this is not about just beating up on one party here. But the fact this we were talking about the uh, what was the guy's name from Nigeria again, Andy? Oh, um, Sonny something. Well, Jake, you probably know who who that is. This guy. Abacha. Yeah, a yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds, yeah. Was it $320 million that he stuffed in a bank uh, in, uh, in Switzerland? In Switzerland and yeah. I think like $5 billion total disappeared, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, just, and, just, since, this, just since the Panama Papers were released in uh, April 2016, uh, tax authorities around the world have recovered more than half a billion dollars. So that's just from one God. firm. Uh, and that's not even all the money that was probably hidden through through tax evasion and, and corruption and other things like that. So to kind of bring it home, the whole situation home, uh, first of all, where did you grow up, Jake? I grew up in New York. Oh, in New York. So you're used to this. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we lived in New York for a while. I love, I love New York. Did you grow up in the city or, or outside the city? I did. I did. I grew up in, in, in New York City, so... Uh, I love New York, but it was a, it was a different New York City then than it is now. Well, it's true. It is true, but I, and again, I am not. This is not a political statement at all. Just from what I understand, and I want to ask you this: that that the Clintons claim to have been broke when they left the White House. Now they're worth a couple of hundred million dollars, and there's five billion dollars in their foundation. Is that correct? I actually don't know if that's correct, but I do know that the people in, in the Clintons' orbit, 
the people who gave to the foundation, the people, some of the campaign contributors, were all people that we found uh, either in the Panama Papers or subsequently uh, the second leak that came out after the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, which involved another firm. Um, and uh, and so, I mean, yes, these are, it's the equal opportunity system, this, uh, this secrecy world. Uh, it's used by, by wealthy people, you know, all over the world and, uh, and in the United States. Um, I mean, 50% of the wealth held in tax havens belongs to households with more than $50 million in net wealth. And you are, you are absolutely correct. It is, that it is as if they played by different rules than the rest of us. There's no doubt about it. And always have, as a matter of fact. I love the fact, uh, obviously we weren't there, but the, uh, the federal tax uh, was put in place to support World War I, correct? The federal income tax. Yes, yeah. And yeah, from what correct. I understand, the five, the five wealthiest families in America had huge parties to celebrate the fact that nobody would ever catch them, that they'd always be the wealthiest people in the United States. Because they didn't have to pay any federal income tax on their earnings. They already have the money. Well, I mean, it's, it's absolutely clear that the system is broken, right? I mean, the, the, yes. the U.S. Yes. Treasury Department uh, estimates uh, it's something like $300 billion a year is laundered in the United States. It's dirty money that is laundered in the United States. And, uh, and what the authorities actually capture of that is a, is, is a very, very small percentage. And, and frankly, they just don't have the tools to, to do better. I mean, the, the Congress, primarily the Republican Congress, has just eviscerated the IRS, right? So investigators... Right. Uh, have, have left and the budget's been curtailed. And so there isn't really a lot of interest uh, amongst uh, the political, uh, the politicians of either party, I would say, um, you know, to really right. crack down on the abuses of the secrecy world. Jake, how did you get involved in all this in the, in the first place? Um, it's, it's, uh, it all started with a phone call, actually. Uh, a friend of mine who was a senior editor at an organization called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists called me up and said, you know, we're working on something that's really interesting, uh, and uh, I can't tell you anything about it on the phone, but we think you'd be perfect for it. And so he said, you have to come to Washington, D.C. and meet with the director of ICIJ, Jared Ryle. And so I, I went to uh, uh, D.C., and I met with uh, Jared and his deputy, Marina Walker, and they told me that they had begun to receive uh, leaked data from this law firm in Panama called Mossack Fonseca. And it had already revealed uh, extraordinary things, like uh, a secret company held by the prime minister of Iceland and a number of companies right. uh, that, that were held by this classical cellist in Russia who happened to be the godfather of Vladimir Putin's oldest daughter, and uh, and other sort of information, and this was just at the very beginning, and then you know over time, I of course signed on immediately, and over time, over sure. the next year, uh, we got more and more data until it ended up being 2.6 terabytes of information, which is a huge amount, and there were more than a hundred uh, investigative reporters from all over the world going through the data and, and and connecting the dots and figuring out who was in it and. And what it told us about this uh, the secrecy world of uh, of tax havens and secret bank accounts and and crooked lawyers and accountants and and uh, and all of that. How does one go about? 
and again, I, I, I don't want to keep using the, the Clinton's name. The only reason I'm using it is because they were not wealthy when they first got into politics. Uh, do you just rise up through the ranks somehow until you get to that one point where somebody pulls you aside and goes, hey, we got this deal going. You want to get involved? Is that how this works? It is. You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, there's lots of, I think people in this world generally know about these strategies, uh, but, uh, but it's mm-hmm. really lawyers and accountants who are, you know, who will tell them, you know, if you move your money offshore, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can avoid taxes. And, uh, and they're all about pushing the envelope and finding ways, uh, you know, to, to bend the system and sometimes break it uh, to, to help their clients uh, keep more of their money. And then, you know, there's another sort of layer of that, which is the, the really crooked uh, lawyers and accountants who, who help the drug traffickers and and uh, other people to, to launder the money and, and, and hide the money. Um, and then there's a whole system, there's a whole, there's, there's many places where this stuff is legal, right? In Switzerland, um, you know, yeah, for a long yeah. time, the bankers just turned a blind eye. Uh, they they did, did not believe it was their job to inquire uh, whether the, you know, whether, you know, whether the, the son of the president of Egypt, you know, was, was, was stashing, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. It wasn't their problem. It was Egypt's problem, and they weren't required to say anything about it. So, I mean, there's a whole sort of system, the secrecy world, uh, intact to sort of allow this to, uh, to proliferate. And, uh, and, and what's so fascinating about the, the data, and, and, and really what, what I, I show in my book, is that it's, it's almost like a living organism. You know, when, when authorities try to clamp down on it, or, or, or reform it in some way, it, it mutates uh, to continue its activities, you know, because there's just so much money at stake. Yes. I, I, look, I will tell people, if the only reason you read Secrecy World is to, to uh, chart, it charts the rise of Vladimir Putin, because I get asked that, because I also do a morning show, Jake, and, and I get asked on this show and I get on asked on that show, where did Vladimir Putin come from? <laughs> I, they don't understand that, at, uh, but you write about that in your book. Yes, and also, I mean, Vladimir Putin is 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 suspected to be one of the wealthiest people on the planet, and yet, uh, you know, he, he he publicly he claims that he only owns a couple of cars and a small flat, which nobody <laughs> believes. And uh, and what we really saw for the first time through this data was exactly how the network of money around him works and who was involved, uh, and how they move money secretly, and how they, they leech off of Russian state banks. Um, you know, literally, through several of the companies uh, uh, connected to Vladimir Putin, we saw billions of dollars moving around, uh, including hundreds of millions that came from state banks. And that was just one provider. They used many different providers, right? Uh. That's, that, this was just Mosek Fonseca. So you really get a sense of, of, of this hidden world and, and, and what these characters are up to. So uh, why Vladimir Putin? How did he become the guy? I, I assume he's ruthless as hell, and he's, a, I would imagine, a murderer and all the rest of it. How did he happen? Why him? Um, you know, some of it was, was, was luck, obviously, and some of right. it was, was, uh, was, was just cunning and being in the right place at the right time. I mean, he ends up being head of the KGB under Boris Yeltsin as, uh, as the Yeltsin regime is kind of falling apart. And Yeltsin tasks 
Putin to to go after his enemies and to save his hide, frankly, um, from corruption. And the the exchange is that uh, he will then appoint Putin uh, to run the to run the country. And once Putin's in power, he never lets go. <laughs> never lets <laughs> That's go. Kind of how it happened, you know. But he but he had all this training from the KGB with a colonel in the KGB. You know, he joined the KGB mm-hmm. in his twenties, and uh, and he learned how this secrecy world operate, uh, you know, because the KGB used uh, secret bank accounts and tax havens and, and all of that stuff, just like the CIA did. Um, and, uh, and he became very practiced in, in how to hide money and, and how to manipulate things and how to blackmail people. I mean, these were all things that, that a KGB officer would, would actually go to school to learn. You know, it's interesting, Jake, I'll tell you. I, I know a few billionaires just from, I, they exist. So, well, to tell you the truth, I, I got to know them by playing golf, which is weird. But <laughs> sure, I, I sure. met them on the golf course, and every one of them tell me they wouldn't think of doing business with Donald Donald Trump because he's one of the most corrupt people they know. Uh, and they also told me something I, I want to ask you about. And I wish we had more time. Um, the the whole art world. This oh, this art is so mm. valuable. It all started because of tax dodging. What, from what I understand, it was about four or five, six families that got together and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to decide how much a painting that you own and I own and you own and I own, how much it's worth. Uh, so I just, I just decided this painting I own is worth $11 million. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to donate it to an art gallery and write off $11 million in taxes. Now, the painting... Has who knows what worth, what value, is is that part of this whole deal too? It it is it is. I actually have a chapter in my book about the art world, uh, the world, and and I talk about uh, you know the different sort of scams and how people have used uh, this system. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, in the collections of of the great museums in in our country, a lot of it was built on tax dodging. Um, a lot of it, you know, some of it is, is, uh, is a questionable, questionable provenance. Um, so, yes, there's, the, the, the art market is completely unregulated. Uh, it has been uh, used for money laundering. People are, are worried that uh, uh, the extent of that is very hard to calculate. Um, and people, wealthy people, uh, you know, hide their art uh, in, uh, in free ports, which are tax-free zones uh, stashed in different countries. And, uh, and they also use uh, tax havens and anonymous shell companies to, to pay as little tax as possible on their art purchases. So, yes, it's, it's a very big part of that. And, and now when you have paintings selling for, for almost half a billion dollars, uh, right. it's, it's a, it's a, it should be a real preoccupation for everybody, you know, that this is a completely unregulated market. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you nailed it. Jake, uh, don't forget a, a month from today to pay your taxes, unlike them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, you know, it's important to, book- to note that there, you can have an anonymous shell company for legitimate reasons. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, uh, the majority of the stuff we probably saw in, in the Panama Papers uh, was, was legitimate. It was legitimate tax avoidance, which is the legal kind. Um, but there's also just a huge huge amount of, uh, of tax evasion. I mean, uh, each year yes. people manage to avoid paying an estimated $2.5 trillion in income tax oh. worldwide. 
And that a lot of that is going through the secrecy world. That's really great, Jake. I talked to you now. I'm depressed as hell. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Bernstein, the book is called Secrecy World. We have to book you again. There are many, many more things I want to talk to you about, Jake. Well, great. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.